The Psalms have been called the hymns of praise. Sometimes the word psalter is applied to the meaning sacred songs. The Psalms have been called the hymn book of the Bible. And so I have some plans to speak on some of these Psalms and we'll start with Psalm number one tonight. The Jews were a lyrical, musical people. And we have some examples. For example, in Exodus 15, when God opened up the Red Sea and the children of Israel walked across victoriously, Moses leads and the Israelites join in the song of Moses and the victory that God gave them through that deliverance. Later on, in, during the period of the judges, Deborah, the fourth judge, and Barak, her captain, we'll call him, Judges 5, we have a song they sang. And also about the song, the women sang praising David's prowess. They came back from victories. They said Saul had killed his thousands, but David his ten thousands. And as we know, Saul did not appreciate that. In the New Testament, Psalms is one of the most cited and quoted books of the Old Testament. And so important was the book in the sight of the Lord that he expressed the entire Old Testament canon like this. As being the law of Moses, the prophets, and the songs. The vocal music of the New Testament church was and is made up of psalms, spiritual songs, or hymns and spiritual songs. The psalms are so rich, so full of meaning. Perhaps there's no other book of the Bible that has been so fondly read. Let's look at the first psalm. It's a short psalm, only six verses. And I'll read it. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the wicked, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of Jehovah, and on his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the streams of water that bringeth forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also doth not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. The wicked are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore the wicked shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. But Jehovah knoweth, or approveth, the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked shall perish. So we find here a contrast being made between the righteous, the godly, and the ungodly. The first psalm may well be regarded as the preface of the psalms, because therein is set forth in principles not only the whole of the psalms, but the contents of the entire Bible. Sort of the, the bottom line. God said, I'm going to bless the righteous and I'm going to condemn the unrighteous, the ungodly. 
So herein is David's desire to teach man the way of blessings, true happiness, and to warn him of the sure destruction of sinners. And so the thought set forth is that a righteous life will be attended with prosperity and happiness, and the life of the wicked shall be followed by sorrow and ruin. It divides itself into two parts, six verses. The first three verses tells us about the blessedness of the godly man. And the last three verses contrast the character of the righteous with the ungodly and speaks about the ungodly's nature and the ultimate doom. The righteous man is described both negatively in verse 1, positively in verse 2. Blessed is the man, the first psalm opens as did our Lord's Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. And blessed are the peacemakers. And blessed are they that are persecuted for righteousness sake. David begins, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the wicked. Negatively then, that's where he begins. Walks not in the counsel of the wicked or the ungodly. He takes wiser counsel and walks in the commandments of the Lord. His footsteps are ordered by the word of God. What does Psalm 119 verse 105 tell us? It says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel and afterward receive me up into glory. Another Psalm 73 and verse 24. What did Jeremiah tell us? It is not in man that walketh to guide or direct his own paths. A man needs God. You may have noticed in the bulletin last Sunday, Ted Turner's statement. And Ted Turner doesn't know about this scripture. He said that when you look in the mirror in the morning, you're looking at the Savior. Nobody else is going to save you but yourself. Well, the blessed man is not guided by the wicked device of sinful men. The ungodly man is unconcerned about religion. He's neither concerned about his soul's salvation or the salvation of anybody else's soul. He counsels those that, with whom he converses to adopt his plan, follow his ways, but the blessed man does not follow his ungodly teaching. He refuses to be guided by the counsel of the ungodly. A second part, part is he does not stand in the way of sinners. He does not associate with people who do wrong. 
Moses in the long ago warned the Israelites, Thou shalt not follow a multitude to do evil. Exodus 23 and verse 2. And what did Paul say? Be not deceived. Evil companionships corrupt good morals. Then we notice that he setteth not in the seat of scoffers. The righteous man finds no comfort in the skeptic's scoffings as they make mockery of God, of sin, of heaven, of hell. The righteous man has reverence for God and he will not endure hearing his precious name blasphemed by those whose consciences have been seared by their sinful living. Proverbs 14 and 9 says, Fools make a mock at sin. Notice the verbs here. We have three of them. The righteous man walketh not, nor standeth, nor sitteth. Walketh not, standeth, nor sitteth. And these are arranged to show the progress of sin in the lives of those who yield themselves to sin. He goes from bad to worse. At first, he merely walks in the counsel of the ungodly. Then he becomes habituated to evil and he stands in the way of sinners. And finally, if left alone, he goes one step further. Being hardened in his conscience, he becomes a teacher of evil, a tempter of others, as he sits in the seat of the scoffers. But the blessed man, being contrasted, does none of this. The man to whom all the blessings of God belong holds no companion with such characters as these described, the ungodly, the sinners, the scoffers. He puts away evil things and evil persons from him. And he that would be kept from harm must keep himself out of harm's way. Proverbs 13 verse 20 says, A companion of fools shall be destroyed. How many times have people, especially young people, been caught up in a crime because of their being in the wrong crowd? We say, especially young people, uh, we grow and we mature and sometimes we uh, are not mature enough under certain temptations and trials. Remember reading about a young man with a, a carload of four or five young men just riding around, didn't have anything to do. They got bored and one of them suggested, why don't we rob the post office? Well, when the other sort of took it up, it looks like they were serious about it. One of the young men said, I'm not interested in that. Would you stop the car and let me out? And they did. He got out. He was on one side of the town. He had to walk all the way to home. But he did. And these young men went ahead and robbed the bank. I mean, the post office. The young man had left his coat, his jacket, in the car. 
They left it in the post office as evidence. Didn't take the police long to find out to whom it belonged. And so this young man was innocent, was arrested, and he was sent to prison. And I can't remember how long he served, but he served some years until one of the ones who were guilty confessed. Now the innocent man, young man, didn't do anything. Maybe he should have been wiser to have known the character of these young men. Such character that they wanted to rob the post office. And then they would take their friend or their companion and let him be responsible and put to prison. Let him go to prison. Maybe they thought it was just a big joke and they'd find out he didn't do it, but the evidence was such that it took him so long to walk from there he couldn't account for the time when the post office was being robbed, so that didn't go well with him. And it was his jacket. So, you know, you can get caught up in the wrong crowd and he recognized it too late to get away and still he had to suffer for it. Young people, and this has happened so many times, they'll get in a spree, bored. They want to do something exciting. And young people are, are, are likely to, uh, you know, take chances, maybe show off, and they start drinking, and then they, they've lost control. And how many times have cars been wrecked with fatalities? They were with the crowd of the ungodly. Maybe they were all ungodly. And it turned out in that bad way. The newspaper heiress, Patty Hearst, was one of those that uh, Clinton uh, pardoned. And I don't remember, it's been uh, several years, but she was kidnapped as a hostage by a certain group. And I, I'm sorry, I can't remember these details. But while they had her as their captive, they converted her to their way of thinking. And so they decided that they would rob a bank. And there she was with them with a gun. But they got caught. She was one of those caught and she was sent to prison. And she was in prison until Clinton pardoned her. I mean, she was guilty. I don't know how long they sentenced her, her there, but see, she got in the wrong crowd. We said, well, I couldn't help that but they converted her while she was a hostage to their way of thinking. She accepted the teaching of the ungodly and that brought her down. I feel for folks who go to secular colleges more and more. Now I went to one. <laughs> so maybe I'm not the one to, uh, to, to warn anyone. I, I, I would prefer a Christian college if it's possible. But more and more we're learning that young people are just getting out of hand with their drinking. And that encourages others to drink. And it's a big problem with, for the schools, much less the people that are involved in it. Besides that, we have the professors who will lead them away from the Bible and away from God. Now, when I went, I was just interested in business. I didn't take philosophy courses where they'd probably bring that in. And I didn't socialize. <laughs> At the end of the day, I went home and I got my lessons for the next day. And that's the way it was for four years. So I didn't really didn't get involved, but uh, others did. And they still can. And so we find here, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the wicked, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth 
in the seat of scoffers. It can happen. These are just little examples of how people have gotten led astray. And brethren, young people especially, we ought to be very, very careful. The blessed man is described positively in the next two verses, two and three. He is a man whose delight is in the law of Jehovah. He delights to read and to study God's word. He, light, he delights to be in this word, for it is the rule of his life. He knows that in keeping the divine precepts, there is great reward. Let me turn over and read that. This is in Psalm 19. And we'll read about 7 through 11. The Lord Jehovah is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of Jehovah is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of Jehovah are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of Jehovah is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of Jehovah is clean, enduring forever. The ordinances of Jehovah are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the droppings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is thy servant war uh, warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. And that's the reward we were just referring to. James 1 and 25 says, But the man that looketh into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and continueth therein, not being a hearer that forgetteth, but one that worketh, this man shall be blessed in his doing. He meditates day and night, and what a man meditates upon determines the real inner man. Proverbs 23 and 7, For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. What about Proverbs 4 and 23? Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. The heart is the, the, the fountain, I guess we could call it, for our life, and we're to keep it. Meditate upon God's word, and the heart will be going the right direction. A man may not be what he thinks he is, but what he thinks he is. Let me say that again. A man may not be what he thinks he is, but what he thinks he is. But yet, Paul gives us a, a better direction. He says in Philippians 4 and 8, Finally, my brother, or whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honorable, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, Whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report. If there be any virtue, and if there be any praise, think on these things. So there's the thing that we ought to think about. Yet in David's day, who meditated upon the, the word of God, how small was the portion of the Bible? 
David lived a thousand years before Jesus Christ came. The volume of inspiration didn't have that many volumes. So how much more then should we prize the whole of God's word, all of the Old Testament, all of the New Testament? We also should be noble or like the noble Bereans. They searched the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. Acts 17 and 11. And Paul said, Timothy, study or give diligence to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing or handling the word of truth. How about First uh, Peter 2 and 2, as newborn babes, long for the spiritual milk that is without guile, that you may grow thereby unto salvation. These are the directions. Paul, even the elders of, of Ephesus, said, uh, And now I commend you unto God and unto the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all them that are sanctified. There's not a better way to turn than to the word of God. And if people would truly do this, it would assist them in keeping aloof from the evils of the world. Paul said, Thy word have I laid up in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Psalm 119 and verse 11. And then in verse 97, Oh, how love I thy law. Now, the way we had said, Oh, how I love thy law. But that's not the way it is in the Bible. Oh, how love I thy law. It is my meditation all the day. Patrick Henry. American statesman and orator. He's the one that's famous for saying, give me liberty or give me death. Died when he was just 63. And to me, that's pretty young. He lived during the revolutionary days of, of America, 1736 to 1799. And when he was near his death, this is what Patrick Henry said. Here is a book, the Bible, worth more than all others that were ever printed, yet it is my misfortune never to have found time to read it. Now that is sad. This man was respected. He was a governor of Virginia. I don't know how many years or how many times. And he had opportunities for other things, but he did not take time to read the Bible. He's going to meet his, or he went to meet his creator, his judge. And he, he knew it was a great book, he said so. But he did not study it. Someone has said there are three stages of Bible study. First, the cod liver oil stage. When you take it like medicine because it's good for you. Second, the shredded wheat biscuit stage, dry but nourishing. And the third has been called the peaches and cream stage. Now, I don't know if everybody likes peaches and cream. I would call that the oatmeal stage. But anyway, the question is, have you, have you reached that third stage yet of studying the Bible in such a way that you just enjoy it? How do you read your Bible? 
That's a personal question. A young boy was in the habit of attending uh, what they call in England gospel meetings, which would be a gospel assembly service Sunday night. They call it the gospel meeting. But on this particular evening, he was unable to attend, and so he stayed at home and read his Bible. His mother was upstairs attending to the little ones and did not know what her son was doing, but noticing how quiet he was and thinking perhaps he was up to some mischief, as little boys often are when they're quiet, she called downstairs and says, what are you doing, Henry? And the lad replied, I am watching Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead. That's a beautiful answer. I'm watching Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead. He was reading the 11th chapter of John. And he was, he was seeing the things that he was reading. How do you read the Bible? Do you read your Bible like that? Andrew, Andrew Bonar tells of a Christian who had a different way of expressing himself. Lived on the farm. He said he had meditated the Bible through three times. Now, to me, that's not like a good way of reading the Bible. He meditated the Bible through three times. Didn't just read it, maybe studied it, but he meditated it through and another expression, he had shaken every tree in God's garden and gathered fruit therefrom. That's how he studied the Bible. The idea of meditation is to get into the middle of a thing. Meditation is to the mind what digestion is to the body. And unless the food is digested, the body receives no benefit. And to receive the benefits from what we read or hear, there must be that mental digestion known as meditation. If we would buy the truth and sell it not, as Proverbs tells us we should do, we must pay the price which Paul intimated to, Paul, uh, to Timothy. 1 Timothy 4 and 15, he said, Meditate upon these things. Give thyself wholly to them. David meditated upon the word of God. In fact, he wrote much of the Psalms, did he not? Because he loved it. And so does the righteous man. Verse 3 tells us about the righteous man. He's described as a man who prospers in all things. He's like a fruit-bearing tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. Fruitfulness is an essential quality of a gracious man's life. What did Jesus say in John 15? I am the true vine. My father is the husband. Every vine in me that bringeth, not, every branch in me that bringeth not forth fruit, he taketh it away. But every branch in me that beareth fruit, he cleanseth it, that it may bear more fruit. And then he says in verse 8, For herein is my Father glorified, 
that you bear much fruit, and so shall you be my disciples. By bearing much fruit, we glorify the Father. We show to the world we're a disciple, a follower of Jesus Christ. It's fruit-bearing, much fruit-bearing, as the Lord describes it there. What about the fruit of the Holy Spirit in Galatians 5, 22 and 23? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, meekness, self-faithfulness, uh, meekness, and self-control. That's the kind of fruit that you and I, as children of God, must be bearing. The righteous man prospers when he does things in God's way. Verses 4 and 5 the ungodly man. The wicked are not like the righteous man that we just discussed. By way of contrast, the, godly, the ungodly are like chaff. That tiny husk.